This is Max, and this is The Uncommon Truth, in search of the church the way Jesus meant it to be. Today on the show, I'm joined by Senior Pastor of the Father's House Church, Steve Orsillo, and we're going to have our first podcast in a series of a few about discipleship. No matter what church you're a part of or what theology you belong to, Christians all across North America can agree that discipleship is an integral teaching of Jesus. Yet when we dig into the topic and start asking questions like, what is a disciple? Who are we supposed to follow? And how are we supposed to follow them? Those are questions that a lot of Christians disagree on. Is a disciple just what we call somebody who believes in Jesus? Or is there actually a way of life that a disciple is supposed to emulate? And if discipleship is all about following Jesus, how do we even do that in 21st century North America? We're going to tackle those questions and a lot more in the next several weeks as we talk about discipleship. And you might be surprised to hear what Jesus has to say and what the Bible and New Testament in particular have to say about what it takes to be a disciple. Today, specifically, we're going to be talking about the definition of a disciple and how that fits in with Steve and the Father's House vision of the uncommon truth about salvation. So deny yourself, pick up your smartphone, and follow us as we look into the uncommon truth. All right, well, welcome here, Steve. Welcome back. We've got a really hot day outside, but we've got... We got some good air conditioner. It's uh, at this point struggling to keep up, but hopefully it it does keep up. Um, it's life in Central California in the Valley, <laughs> Northern here, but the whole Valley. Yeah, yeah it's it's uh, been above a hundred degrees the last couple of days. We're we're at a nice cool ninety six. I think is the high temperature today for all That's you right. Canadians struggling through still spring uh, who are listening. Um, well, we're taking summer here for you, so. Last week, we, we talked about how the church measured success and how, the, yeah, how, how we know what, that we're doing a good job with the words of Jesus and enacting them on earth. And we kind of got to the point where we realized that one of the big things that the North American church cares about is, is numbers and butts and pews and um, big buildings and things like that. And where we left that discussion was we're, we're not quite sure that we need a ton more Christians, but for now it would be really great if we had better Christians, yeah. sold out Christians, right? Yeah. So uh, between then and now, I found this quote as I kept thinking about it from A.W. Tozer. He says, it's of far greater importance that we have better Christians than that we have more of them. Well, I agree with that. I agree with that. It'd be very hard to get too deep into criticizing how somebody lives their faith but I would want to warn people that how you live your faith will be examined one day, as it's promised in the Bible that there'll be a judgment seat for all of us. Right. And I don't, I don't want to live my life forgetting that, mm-hmm. that, that it matters how I choose, who I, who I stumble or who I help over the wall. You know, it, it, how I walk matters. And so I would really think that making disciples really can't be separated from how you teach them to walk, how they walk out their faith, how they, like Paul says, walk out their faith with fear and trembling, work out their faith. You know, it's how you do it, how you struggle with it. That's what I want to teach. That's what I want to make sure I'm keeping my eye on the prize. Am I struggling through my salvation and my Christian faith in a way that honors the Lord and will turn out 
good for me in the end. And if I teach others to do that, it will turn out good for them. Right. Here and then in that time through eternal life. Right. And, and you know, like we here, we often, you know, go find ourselves in like conferences or running events like the Mud Run and people from the outside will say, how did you guys manage to pull off an event of this scope with this few people, right? And we, ha- we have lots of volunteers helping at the Mud Run and um, we, we go down to conferences and stuff, but it's because the... And this is what I found when I got here. It's it's partly because the level of work ethic and dedication and and just giving your life away that that people here exemplify. It's not it's not the same everywhere. No, I think here it comes from preaching a dedicated value in giving your life away, laying down your life for your brother loving one another as you have been loved, then making sure that whatever we say is the truth, we live it too. Mm -hmm. So I'm there, and then someone comes along and becomes an associate pastor. It has to be be that they're living it too, and they're preaching the same message. They're saying, Jesus says, I was hungry and you fed me not, or I was hungry and you fed me, and as you do unto the least of these my brethren, so you do unto me. And then that person teaches it too. And then they also do it. And then it says, no greater love as any man than he lay down his life. It also says to take the lowly place, come in low, sit at the low end of the table, wait till someone honors you. Don't try to promote yourself. Let Mm -hmm. others promote you. Those kinds of things. And then you make sure that your leaders live that who tell the people that. And pretty soon you start to collect. Now there's, you take 15,000 people, there's going to be a group of them that we're always looking for something like this, a place to apply their faith. And you start to collect a crowd that starts to get noticed. And people, so like you said, how do you do this? Yeah. Well, you preach a message that challenges people to do what Jesus said. Then you make sure you're doing it. I like to say... Seems pretty simple. Yeah. I like to say, follow me as I follow Christ, and I won't let you down. Now, will I let them down? I think in terms of being exactly what they want me to be, I'll probably let them down. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they want, and everybody wants something different. But being what I say I am, now that I can say, I won't let you down. Yeah. Whatever I say I am, I won't let you down. And if I believe, if we sit in our team meeting and say, or our staff meeting and say, what are the values of a mud run that will help us communicate what God has given us to communicate? And we lay it out. We figure it out. And then we say, hey, this really has potential to preach our message. Mm -hmm. And when necessary to use words, but our actions will speak louder than our words. And then when our actions speak louder than our words and we gather people, we are able to use our words to tell them what we're doing. And it's really rich. It is. It is life changing. People are born again, truly radically converted, not just converted. Mm -hmm. They're just, they come saying, teach me. And what we teach them, follow me. Come follow me. I'll show you the way. I know the way. I've been down this road. I was where you are now. Come follow me. I think that discipleship is a dirty word in America, truly. I think that we want to use any other word to describe this, this, this process, I guess you would call it, that I just described. Yeah. We want to use any word other than discipleship because 
a great number of Jesus people uh, leaders today that were Jesus people, and mm-hmm. they got caught up in a thing called Christian disciples, and it was a it was a very shepherding movement, and. I all the time get told this, you know, I really get resisted because of that time period where they started this church and it went really wrong. It ended up being pretty strongly wrong. I mean, it, it, I don't want to get into all that or, or paint them all with the same brush. Cause there was a lot of right too. Yeah. And I, I have friends who were in that movement who resist everything I do because they feel like it looks too much like that. Mm-hmm follow you you know kind of thing and it's like yeah but who's going to teach them how do you learn to do something if you're not following an example and 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 if there's no way to tell someone hey you're getting a little off you know i don't know how you get people where they're going because people it's like hurting cats with people people are inconvenient (laughs) people are difficult and they're glorious and wonderful so all in all i don't know how they get people where they want them to be but they resist me because of their experience with the discipleship movement so discipleship, first and foremost, becomes a dirty word in 21st century America or West. But yeah. Jesus will use that word. And I don't know what word, you know, the, the word really didn't mean disciple the way we have it. What it meant was twin, imitator, okay. imitation. It was a word that really was the same word used to describe two people identical, like twins. So identical twins would be they would be the successful interpretation of the word disciple. Okay. Uh, they didn't achieve it. They were born with it. So that's not what we're trying yeah. to get, right? We're trying to get an achievement of disciple. We're trying to reach a disciple. Recreate ship. It, really. Yeah, you were trying to create something from what isn't. So I don't look like Jesus when I started out. Mm-hmm. And I believe today I don't look very much like Jesus, but I look a lot more like Jesus than I did before. Yeah. I behave like him, speak like him a lot more than ever before in my life. Well, when I started out, I started out being refined, what Paul the Apostle said, conformed into the image of God's Son. Mm-hmm. So I have been conformed now these years, and I am on my way. I must tell you, though, Max, I have not arrived. <laughs> And and I'm not I'm not bragging about that. That's not a point of pride for me. I should be further, and I'm gonna be further. And I am being transformed. I am being perfected, and I am being conformed into the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ. It's a process. So therefore, I am a disciple, but I am not a twin. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of resemblance between me and my brothers, my sister. You can tell we are family. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's there's whole groups of people. They all you can I was just recently in a country and I said, Vicky, look what the normal person there's so many of these people in this country look this way. And sure enough, man, there was thousands of them. Yeah. And there's a family resemblance. And I think that not in a physical resemblance of Jesus. We can't all look like him. Even women, you know, are Christians and disciples. And you can't all look like him physically. It's it's not what we're talking about. It's being transformed to his nature of love, his mm-hmm. nature of truth, his dogged ability to get people to follow a way, just to tell them the way. This is the way. Yeah. You know, this is what you do. Why would this profit you? This won't profit you. And this is what you should do. And he's really pointed. And I'm. he's not... His, his his words are not 
easy to swallow sometimes like the one that says if you sin if your right arm causes you to sin cut it off that's just not an easy phrase that's just not an easy understanding to a man who fails as often as i do right uh that would be a very crippling version of that if i were to say i can't stop sinning i'm not even going to try then i would be accepting the arm cutting and the eye poking thing you know right Whereas I'm not, I'm saying I can I can resist sin, and I want to keep my hands. And my decision is not to cut my hand off; it's to stop sinning, right. which would make me more like Jesus, and I would be conformed into His image, which is the state of discipleship. But because it really does take example, follow me as I follow Christ. The things you see in me, Peter said, imitate those things. It takes duplication. You want to learn how to be an electrician, you learn from an electrician. Mm -hmm. Don't learn from a brain surgeon. And if you want to learn to be a brain surgeon, don't learn from an electrician. You learn discipleship from a disciple. You learn from a person who's further along the road than you are, the transformation. And you let your life be transformed by following and imitating and letting them speak into your life and tell you what, what you're doing wrong. Hey, you're veering off. Hey, don't do that. Don't do that. Do this. Oh, that works. Oh, good. And pretty soon you find yourself, your faith growing, things working, and you become more and more transformed into the image of the Son. What I always say to the discipleship movement people who refuse to have any discipleship that looks anything like that movement is, I ask them, they, if they did it wrong, why do people who do it wrong get to decide that right can't happen? Yeah. Like, there must be a right way. And quite frankly, some phenomenal leaders came out of the discipleship movement. And listen to this. Those people that I know, they all went through the discipleship movement. They're dedicated. Mm -hmm. They are committed. And so the discipleship movement had some effect on them that yeah. was good. And they're still in it today. They're pastors. They're pastoring churches now into the 40 years because something worked about their commitment to that man-run organization, mm -hmm. that shepherding. And I think that that's something we miss all the time. And here, here at the Father's House, we believe in discipleship. We think good leadership really works and bad leadership really works to destroy. And so we really work at being someone who says what should happen. You should do this, and we want you to do that. And would you consider doing this? And then whatever we ask, we do. Hmm. We say, if you want to join this group, then you are accepting all of these tenets of being in this group. You're gonna, there's all hands on deck days. There's some really long days. There's a lot of servant. There's a lot of love. There's a lot of giving, a lot of worship, a lot of Bible study. If you want to be in this, come submit to this and watch your life change. And the thing I promise people, I promise people constantly one thing. If you'll stick with me for two years, if you'll follow me in this journey for two years, you'll look in the mirror and like yourself a lot better. You right. will like who you are and what you're doing a lot better. And that's really our version of discipleship in a nutshell. Yeah. So it's becoming Jesus' twin. And so we're all kind of on the same journey. I'm just maybe learn some things that you could you could learn from. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why I'm here. I know I had I I accepted Jesus at like 13 and I was I remember having my life change. It was different the next day. But it was a really long time before I was actually discipled. I, I did have I did have some great youth group leaders 
Uh, they would, you know, pick me up from my place and drive me all the way across town when I couldn't make youth group and they would check in on me and stuff. It was, it was like good friendship and a good, um, kind of like older brothers type of relationship. But it wasn't really until I got to college where somebody took me aside and said, you're going to follow me. You're going to follow me and do what I do. And you're going to learn from me and follow Jesus the way I do. And it, you're going to be better for it. And I, and I didn't know until that point that I really wanted that. But I, I think we, I think we kind of um, skipped over something. Like you were talking about how, um, like the, there's a family resemblance there, and it's really funny. I know my sister's going to listen to this, and she's, her and I look nothing alike. We like my my dad has darker skin. Uh, from the Romanian side of our family, and my sister got that. We, she, we call her like the the gypsy princess. And my my skin, you know, I I look like my mother's father. Very, I'm balding or already achieved balding mm-hmm. status, yeah. and I've got really fair skin, and I've got blue eyes. And my sister has really dark brown eyes, and so people look at us and they don't think we're Related. we're the, the same family. But then we open our mouths. And we could go on with movie quotes that of the like our shared experiences for ages. We can just chat in movie quotes, right? right. And um, we could just we can almost communicate in facial expressions because we're family, right? Right. And the same thing with disciples, who we we come from all over the world, all different places. Even here in Oroville, we've got right. people from Norway and the Netherlands and the UK and Canada and so many other places. But we're all learning to speak the same language. We're all learning to follow Christ. And, and so then we, we make this family. And uh, I, I just, I think it harkens back to my time when I first was discipled of that, like, yeah, I do need this. And there's always, there's always those days when you're like, do I really need this? I mean, come on. Yeah. Do, do I really need to be told how to do this thing? Um, but then you see the you see the growth. You can look back and see the 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 quickness or the the quality of growth um, compared to where I've come from, and and then you then you do decide, yeah, this is this is great. This is this is the right way to do things. So, what what is what are what are things like if we're following Jesus? We're supposed to be Jesus' disciples. I think most people listening, they won't have a problem agreeing with that. Yes, I will follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. What are things that Jesus did that we have to imitate as disciples as we're trying to become twins with him? Obviously, first and foremost, um, he taught truth and laid down his life. Mm -hmm. Those, you, I don't know which, the chicken or the egg thing. Right. Came and he taught truth and then he laid down his life. I believe that the apostles went on from his words to lay down their lives in a much more everyday kind of way. Mm-hmm. I mean, the description of their laying down their lives is wholly different than Jesus, but understood from his words to be what they should do. Mm-hmm. So they leave home, leave religion, leave countrymen to go off. I think Thomas went to India. Uh, eventually John went to Ephesus and Rome and... and um, Paul, of course, went a lot of places, but he wasn't with Jesus, but Peter ended up in Rome. Yeah. And they they were sent all over the world and laid down their lives, gave up everything. And 
that's to me laying down your life. So we have a phrase, give your life away. And people say, why? Yeah, because that's what Jesus did. And to imitate Jesus is give your life away. They're not yet crucifying people for being Christian, but it's certainly when I have mine and you don't have yours, I have a decision to make. Is it really mine? And do you need some of what I have? Hmm. And laying down my life would be mean I give away some of mine. Or I, yeah, do, a, I do without so that you can have. It's the same principle. It's just a difference of degree, right? Whereas Jesus showed us, showed us the principle by laying down his actual life and laying down his life on a daily basis, spending time with people, yeah. giving of his time and energy. But then he also went to the the like final degree by actually giving up his fiction. Right. And yeah. and so the disciples, the apostles, the first like the church fathers, they they did that too. They they were itinerants, right? They didn't have a place when Jesus says, you know, if you want to follow me, the son of man doesn't have a place to lay his head. That became pretty true for those 11 guys that that followed him and right. did exactly what he said. And then all of them, except for John, I believe, did end up laying down their life for him. Right. right? It, it reminds me... I'm, John I'm laid down in, his life. It just wasn't taken. Right. He was exiled. He was, uh, according to Tertullian, he was boiled in oil. Really? And, and survived. Uh, the Tertullian's a, a historian from Rome. Yeah. He wrote that John the John the Apostle was boiled in oil, and and then because he didn't die, they sent him to Patmos. Mm-hmm. But he also the the in the times of Jesus, where this is best seen, is the rich young ruler where he says, "Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor." It's one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible in in Jesus' teaching, because it's not really talking about sell give away all you have and sell it to the poor. That isn't the 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 way to have eternal life, which was the question. How do I have eternal life? Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. That wasn't it. It's the next thing. It, he said, come and follow me. Mm-hmm. But the reason he, the sell all you have was how he said, I obey the commandments. And Jesus said, no, go sell all you have and give it to the poor. That was the answer to obeying the commandments. That man had not loved his neighbor as himself. Yeah. He had not given to his neighbor the the comfort and the and the ease and the financial gifts that he had received. He had not shared it. And so he's saying, if you, for you to obey the commandments, you still lack one thing, go sell all your, all your stuff and give it to the poor. Now you've bought for them what you've bought for you and you've obeyed the commandments, but you still lack one thing for eternal life. Then come and follow me. Mm-hmm. So I think the selling all that you have and giving it to the poor is highly misunderstood. It's lay down your life for your neighbor, which is the even the obedience to the Ten Commandments. Don't covet his goods. Don't covet his wife. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. The the whole way of God that you would you would love your neighbor, love one another. But Jesus brought it way up. Yeah, he brought it up a notch. Yeah, he said, love your neighbor, love one another as I have loved you, which is to heal you, to bring healing, cleansing, forgiveness, non-judgment, and lay down your life. Right. I think it's real clear to be a twin of Jesus, you are talking about some heavy-duty, some heavy-duty packing there. Mm -hmm. And 
um, I think we should all be attempting to be Jesus' imitations, just twins even. The word's really used for twin, exact duplicate. Yeah. And so to be his disciple, to know, he says, if you're my disciple, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. He whom the son sets free is free indeed. Well, if you're my disciple, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. It's like, wow, to be his twin is a heavy price. Yeah. I don't think we're talking about that enough. I don't think we're sharing. And here at the father's house, we are, we're talking about it constantly. Yeah. Are you ready to be a disciple? And yeah, well, are you ready to deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow Jesus, sell all that you have, buy for your neighbor what you would buy for you, share with your neighbor what you have procured for yourself? Are you willing to love the least of these, my brethren? And are you willing to love one another as I've loved you? Uh, I'm certainly willing. Are you doing it? Well, I'm really counting on the fact that I'm going to do it better and better every day. I am becoming more like Jesus every day. The apostles were called Christian. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? The word Christian means little anointed one. Jesus was the anointed one. So how the legend spread was the anointed one has come, it is Jesus. And the anointed one was always the, was always the Christ, the Messiah. Mm-hmm. So when people said the anointed one was come, you chose to believe or you chose not to believe. And the stories would go out, well, he said this, he did this. They didn't have computers. They had right. word of mouth. They no didn't Twitter. have printed newspapers. Word of mouth. So they said, he did this, he did this, he said this, he said that. So when Peter come along, Paul come along, the people that Paul led to Jesus, the people that grew out of the movement, began to behave in the same manner that Jesus said, many of them laying down their lives literally, and many of them giving all that they had, selling all that they had and giving it, many of them doing the very words of Jesus, the people of their time said, they are Christians. They're just like him. Yeah, mistaking them. It's a case of mistaken identity, right? Yeah, well, not necessarily. They knew it wasn't him. They're just saying he, they look a lot like him, so yeah. they are like him. Yeah. So you, you people are like him. You are Christians. You, yeah. are little, you are little versions of the anointed one. And it's hard to get that today because... I'm not sure I'm going to be walking around. I'm not sure anybody that like, it's so challenging because I could go to the supermarket or the gas station or, you know, to the park with my kids. And I'm not sure that's what people are going to see of me is, wow, that guy looks a lot like Jesus or, no. you know, and we, we have done a great job in the West of telling people how they should act. Right. Like right. we're very, we're very quick to say what we're against. Right. But we haven't done such a great job, in my opinion, of showing how we how we should act in our own lives, and and I think we've always also chosen some really tough battles, you know. Instead of instead of like how can I how can I lay my life down? How can I go say uh, adopt children that could otherwise be aborted? We well, let's go fight the laws. Let's you know, let's pick it. What if we just adopted those kids? What if we bear the burdens that this a scared young mom? And that's that's scary because I have two kids and another on the way, and I know how right. big of a a responsibility that is. But 
it seems to me that would be a different, and I hate to pick on that topic, but you know what I mean, right? Like the, the, the Jesus way of responding to things. We, we, we think we're responding the way Jesus would, but sometimes we're just laying burdens on people. Yeah. Honestly, I think that if you want to know, we use a lot of terminology around here. One of them's a Christianity that works. We've yep. said it on the podcast. And I think that the clarity of Christianity that works can only be seen and only be seen. It isn't seen through healings and signs and wonders. It isn't seen through the pursuit of, of miracles. It isn't seen by trying to make God look good to a world that doesn't believe in him. It is seen wholeheartedly in the actions of the disciples. It is, you know, the Christianity that works can only be seen (coughs) through adversity. Hmm. How do you show a Christianity that works, (coughs) excuse me, if if your faith is never tested? Right. It's kind of like what the devil said to God about Job. Well, how do you consider, consider my servant Job perfect in my sight. Mm-hmm. The devil says, yeah, he's only perfect because you protect him. You never let anything bad happen to him. And I mean, read Job, bad yeah. happened to him. Yeah. And in the end of his bad happening to him, before other people got a hold of him, he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I mean, geez, that guy, what a, what a, what a statement. Yeah. I have a headache one of those neck pounders and I pray and it doesn't go away. And I wonder if God even exists, you know, <laughs> don't you love me? I question yeah. his love. I question faith. Like, you know, I don't anymore, but there are times. Yeah. I understand what you know what I mean. Say. And yeah. people go through adversity, you know, I think probably the most miraculous thing we've seen at the Father's house is not the miracles, the deliverances, the born-again nature that takes over people's lives. People whose lives are just radically changed. That isn't our biggest miracles. It's the brain tumors and cancers and leukemias and blood diseases and seizure, seizure ailments in people of profound faith who stand up in the midst of horrors and say... Come hell or high water, you are good. Regardless mm. of what happens to me, I love you, and you are good. So the transformation in their life, in their in their process of becoming a disciple, is such that they have come to a place where no matter what happens to them, they can stand on the rock and say, I'm with yeah. you, Jesus. The so waves that's, that's a bigger miracle than yeah. I see. The waves beat, the wind blows, and their faith stands untouched mm-hmm. in the midst of the storm. My house burned down, and I just I just did what I what see. If if I tried to start this process the day my house burned down, I'd have failed miserably. But I didn't even notice it till long after, with the news cameras and the people interviewing. And hey, you know, just wanted to talk about this forest fire that burned my house down. They were upset because I didn't talk like a victim. Yeah. I said, I'm excited. You know, this this is like this is part of kingdom living. And you just you just wait for the next adventure. And where what's awesome is we know what to do for our neighbors. We know what to do, you know, in our community. Yeah. Cause so for those who don't know, it was twenty seventeen, summer of twenty seventeen that your house burned down. July like July eighth, two thousand seventeen. 
And so that was that was a a year and a half or a year and a few months before this big campfire that that Happened took Paradise, out yeah. Paradise, which is about twenty five minutes uh, northeast of us. So what you're saying is is pretty radical that that the Lord prepared you oh, and yeah. put you and Vicky in the spot of knowing exactly how these th- these people that got burned out in paradise in the biggest wildfire in California history, right. you know exactly what they went through. We and do, you would, and you we've ministered to thousands of them, but the truth is we wouldn't have been able to minister to them be- unless we walked through it well and done, and we wouldn't have been able to walk through it well if we didn't have a lifetime of giving our life away of laying down our life in discipleship to become disciples of Jesus Christ. What are you? I am Christian. Aren't you a Christian? No, I am Christian. Right. I am Jesus, Jesus presence on the earth. And when my, my neuropathy goes after my legs, when age has its time with me, my eyes dim or my hearing dies or my strength goes away. He is still Lord. When the, when the long winter of my life comes to an end and the autumn is coming, the leaves are falling and my life is ebbing, he is still Lord. Mm. And when houses burn or houses are built, I both built the house, saw the house burn, built another house, and none of it really means anything. What means something is how I responded to it. The work of building the first house was gruesome. I had to drive from Sacramento. I had, you know, I did it at night and on weekends. It added to my life. Mm -hmm. I had to stay the course. I had to climb the walls, lift up the beams. I had to do it all. I built the house, got stuck with it because of the Gulf War and the Lord told me to move into it. Yeah. I lived in the house 28 years, accumulated stuff. When it burned, it was like, this is your house. You don't just stand up and say, this is your house. Unless over the course of a lifetime, You've given a dollar more than you could afford to give your whole life. You've prepared yourself for faith. Because nobody nobody really, what credit do you get if everything's going well and you're saying everything's going well? Yeah. It's when everything's going bad and your answer is still, I'm so blessed, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. How are you compensated for all of this? Are you kidding me? My compensation was so far beyond money. I mean, the adventure of kingdom living that I got to see, the good people in my life that came from my fire, the good people that have come into our life because of our granddaughter's leukemia, our associate pastor's cancer, mm-hmm. all of the people that flock here for deliverance or for uh, the different diseases, you know, some of them get healed. Some of them are still lingering, but their souls are being healed. Mm-hmm. Their lives are being changed. They are becoming disciples every day being conformed into the image of the of his son they are living in his likeness even when it's so difficult and you don't live through this adversity the seizure disease the blood disease another young lady has Mm -hmm. the different things we have all around us that are crippling You don't stand up and go serve the world and give your life away unless you've invested faith before and you start practicing. Yeah, it's like you you tell the story once uh, about the the guy who said, I want to to make a million dollars or a bunch of money so I can go and donate it to this right. charity. And what what's your response to that? I one? asked him why he wanted, he had this invention he was trying to, he wanted to make bazillions of dollars. And I said, why do you want to make bazillions of dollars? That's a pretty dangerous thing to want. 
And, you know, it's, it, you got to be ready to have a bazillion dollars. He said, well, because I want to, uh, I want to be more generous. And I said, so today, what do you make? And he made pittances. Are you generous today? Well, I can't really afford to be. I said, well, let me just tell you how it works. If you, if you don't, if you have a, if you know of a $10 need today and you're not meeting the $10 need out of your need, like you can't afford to meet it, but you're doing it out of faith. Then when you have a million dollars or a bazillion dollars, you won't be meeting some ministry's needs. You'll, you'll feel, you'll feel the pull of that money and you will be unable. If you don't practice giving from need, like if you have a dollar and someone asks you for a quarter, that's a lot. And if you're not giving the quarter, if you're not giving from your need, from what you know, like more than you can afford. When you have a little, you're not going to give more than you can afford when you're rich. Right. Rich people never have enough. So, I I can basically hear people on the other side of this podcast and their smartphone saying, "Steve, this sounds really difficult. <laughs> what about my job, my family, my hobbies? That's where my brain goes. Yeah. Is this for? Is this disciple?" lifestyle for everyone are there levels in christianity well the disciples in the bible left their father's fish company stepped up and walked away from their tax tables if their job their location their vocation their world doesn't fit they got to leave it but most of the time loving god with and being called according to his purpose he's able to make what you have work Hmm. the problem most people have is not the things you mentioned i had to give up all my hobbies Hobbies are, are, I'm not owed those. I, I mean, I had to give them up. When it came to, do I go play softball or do I do this? I do this. I serve the Lord. Yeah. And softball is fun and I'd love to be able to do it, but whatever. I don't get to. Well, today my body won't do it anyway, but I'm talking about when I was young. Yeah. So um, the vast majority of people have their throne screwed up. They don't have God on their throne. He's somewhere in the middle. So a true disciple has God on the throne. Nothing matters but him. None of those subjects you just mentioned come before him. So the, a man whose throne is in order has Jesus on the throne. He is Lord of your life. The next person down in your throne that gets most of your attention would be your spouse. The next one that should get favor would be your children. They can't come before your spouse, but mm-hmm. in most Western families, they do. Right. They rule. And generally that's not going to work out so well it's way better if you do it right and you put your spouse first your children come next then everybody else and then you at the end i believe that most of the people you're talking about on their iphones looking at this going this is so hard is because they have their thrown out of order they have themselves somewhere up in the middle they have their future like how will we do with our future our education Who's going to take care of us? Well, you know as well as I do, most people believe in more in the government than God. Me, I believe in God. I don't want the government taking care of me. The government can take care of me. I have no problem God using the government, but nor is that like sinful to use the government. Right. It's just that God's on my throne, and the only one that ever gets credit for taking care of me is God. I have a right to go out and make money. I have the ability to make tons of money, but I've been called, and here I am, and I don't, but I never lack. It does. I haven't lacked yet. That's all I'm saying. If my next test is lacking, 
then I'm going to stand in the middle of my lacking and say, he is good, I love him, and I'm going to do what he wants me to do. Whether I have a lot, which I've had, or I have nothing, which I've also had, whichever one I'm going to have again in the future, I'm going to be okay because I started practicing at 18 years old how to be generous, how to make sure I didn't rely on my income, my education, my training for my future. Everything I've ever done was serve the Lord with my giving, with my receiving, with my following and obeying and becoming the man that others could follow and not be in danger if they did so. And that I would speak truth. The other most important part of Jesus's ministry was I am the truth. And so I feel if I follow truth, I'll stay on the way. And if I follow truth, stay on the way, I'll have life. All three of those are Jesus. Mm -hmm. Anything else like education, job, security, history, somebody else's intentions for you, somebody else's plan they have for you, all of that comes second to me. Comes right. way, not even second, way down. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry you feel that way, but I'll just have to go this way and see what happens. And God is taking care of me. Hmm. Yeah, we're we're excited to see how God's going to take care of us. We've got two kids and uh, two and, places for car seats in our car, and we've got another kid coming. And uh, we asked you, uh, we asked you, you know, what what would you do in our situation? We asked you and Vicky, and and your advice was. Just sit back and watch how God works. He's He knows what you got. He knows what you're capable of of affording and figuring out, and and He wants to He wants to provide for That's you right. if you let Him. And so, I mean, my my default approach is, you know, start flipping over couch cushions, looking for money, and <laughs> scrounging, working extra, and doing right. all this stuff. Right, make it happen. Yeah, in my own power. Right. right? So. Just trust him. Just just to finish it off here, though. Yeah. Um, so, one of the biggest things that we've talked about so far in this podcast, in in all of the shows episodes, was was the the view of salvation. How you read the Bible and say it seems like he's talking a lot more about enduring to the end than mm-hmm. about just believe mm-hmm. af- after this twenty second prayer or something, and then then you're good for eternity. So, where does this vision of being a disciple and enduring to the end how do those two mesh together well since it's a journey to be his twin and so far i'm not close i only resemble then my end is a lot sooner a lot closer than it used to be Hmm. and i'm just going to keep enduring the change in my life Line upon line, I'm going to keep becoming more like him, keep speaking his truth, letting it transform me, asking him to heal my wrong thinking, asking him to show me his way more clearly, reveal to me your truth. When I talk about salvation, it's it. what good would it do me to have my own view of salvation? Since I am not the one that either saves or condemns, what good is it for me to say what I believe? Yeah. I need to know what he believes, what he says is true. And I ask all the time, people, what what is it? What does he command? Almost all of them are wrong. The only thing he said I command is that you love one another as I have loved you. To love one another in American terms is simply to say warm, fuzzy things and say, you know, I have a kind I have a kind thought in my heart about you. Yeah. They call that love. 
what he calls love is as I have loved you. I've told you the truth. I've been hated. I have lived. I have not had a place to lay my head. I have not accumulated wealth, not taken care of the future, only preached truth. I think that's pretty slick right there, a, a definition of what he wants. So how am I saved? People, you know, it says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. It really does say that. And then it says, endure to the end and you'll be saved. Is it a contradiction? Is he confused? He says this one time. He says it like that two times. And even a third time, There's you could interpret it to mean believe and you're saved. But if 13 times it says endure to the end, persevere to the end, struggle to the end, I wish that you were hot or cold. Uh, who's he talking to? The church. How could there be lukewarm people in the church? They all say they believe. How could right. there be cold people in the church? They all say they believe. He says, any branch in me that does not bear fruit, I'll cut off. How can there be branches in you that get cut off? If believing is simply stating something, how can a branch get cut off? It said it believed. Obviously, our definition of believe is wrong. Hmm. So therefore, when it says, believe in the Lord and you shall be saved, it's absolutely true. It's just the story and the explanation of the word believe might be different in Jesus' vernacular than in, in 21st century English. Right. American, you know? Yep. We say, uh, we, we have Dorothy clicking her heels saying there's no place like home and that's believing. Well, that's not believing according to Jesus. It's cutting off your hand instead of sinning. It's enduring to the end. It's facing one another with love in a way that is life-giving endure to the end 10 virgin bridesmaids all had oil so therefore they're all believers five are pounding on the door and it says they will never get in only those that keep their oil to the end get in i mean there's so many verses that say that we are neither saved or unsaved we are in the process of running a race Paul said, I will run it to completion. So in this f definition of salvation, which we can go, I mean, I, you, you just heard me. I just flipped off into a <laughs> whole switch, man. I went off on a trail. Yeah. So just in this one subject alone, it's, it's banana boats what we believe. And it's like, I just let's just get back to truth. What's Jesus saying? Any branch in me, the kingdom of heaven is like. What? A man sold all that he had to obtain this treasure. What have we sold? I want to make sure I've sold all of what I have. I, I don't. I don't know that it's a one and done deal. I don't know it's a believe in your and, and you're saved no matter what you do deal. I think it's a we will all stand before Christ on the judgment seat of Christ and see if we've endured to the end. Paul said he was not going to stop running. He's going to run the race to the finish because he doesn't want to have done all of this in vain. Right, and that race, that's discipleship, right? That's, that's discipleship. Being a disciple. and He says he pummels his body into submission. That's discipleship. Right. He says that I might attain to the resurrection, not that I have already attained to it. That's discipleship. Hmm. I'm reaching for a prize, eye on the prize, upward call of God. Further up, farther in. He doesn't say that. That's mine. But yeah. That's discipleship. Let's keep mm -hmm. going. Let's keep walking. Let's keep let's keep pushing forward. What if we're wrong? We still win. Right. Yeah. yeah. We're not going to be punished for being more diligent, for being more given, for being more loving, for being for trying to purify our life. We'll be I don't think we'll be punished. 
And I just want to make sure everybody, I'm not judging anybody. Yeah. I'm not. I, I don't get to decide who's what. I just have to look at it, decide what I believe, and say what I believe. I do say, I hear this, and I'm not sure I, that can possibly be true. And I and I have to warn people. Jesus says, I see people believe in something, and they're going to fall in a ditch with it. And I just let them. Yeah, their blood's on my head. I don't want their blood on my head. Yeah. I want to tell them. I want to say, hey, that may not be right. I want to do it gently so they can hear me. I want to do it with truth so they can hear me. Right. I want to do it with power. I really want to do it with power so they can hear me. He used a lot of power to get their attention so they'd hear him. Authority, want, right? Yeah, I want to see that power and authority so that they can hear me. Right. Well, I think that that paints a great picture of what a disciple is and the the direction that discipleship is going. It's not not just discipleship for for the sake of of itself, but it's discipleship because that's what Jesus calls for. That's right? right. Follow me. Um and so we're going to get into this a little bit more in the coming weeks. We're going to talk about what what is following and submission. Who do we follow? We we know we're following Jesus, but how do we even do that in in 21st century? That that's going to be the topic of our our next week's episode. So stick with us. But I appreciate your time this week, Steve, and have a great rest of your week. Thanks, man. Well, that's it for this week, but as we mentioned before, we're going to be continuing our discussion on discipleship next week when Steve joins us to talk about specifically how do we follow Jesus in the 21st century. If you're finding the podcast informative and encouraging, I would really encourage you to go ahead and write us a review and leave us a rating on iTunes. Even if you don't use iTunes as your everyday place to listen to the podcast, you stream it on Spotify or something else. If you have an iPhone or an iPad or something, go ahead and jump on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review, and leave us a comment about what you think about the podcast. Basically what that does is it shows Apple that you care about the uncommon truth and it places us higher up and more visible in the podcast charts so that more people who haven't even heard of the Father's House Church or the uncommon truth before can stumble across it as they're looking for a podcast about Christianity. And we really want people to get in on the conversation and be encouraged. So go ahead and do that for us if you could. As always, I've got links to the Father's House Church website and the School of Transformation, our Life Recovery Ministries, and our Project 61 Short-Term Missions in the show notes. So go ahead and check those out and jump on our Instagram feeds if you want to see what the Father's House Church is like and all the other ministries we do. You've got Instagram feeds and Facebook sites there. So go ahead and check those out and get in contact with us. Finally, I'm, I'm going to be posting a link that you can use to share the podcast with a friend or a coworker or somebody else who should get in on the conversation. And it's really simple. All you do is copy and paste that into a text message or an email, and then you send that to a friend. And I can actually tell how many people click on that. So that's your homework for this week. And until next week, this has been The Uncommon Truth. <laughs>